The Connecticut Music Oral History Podcast is a deep dive interview series with musicians, artists, conduits, collectors, and dedicated fans, focusing on 20th century Connecticut music history. This project preserves narratives, heralds unsung movers and shakers, and defines Connecticut's influential role in cultural history. I'm your host, Brendan Toller. I'm an artist, a musician, a filmmaker, and marketing manager of the incredible Verso Studios at the Westport Library, where this very podcast is being produced. Verso Studios is a media resource and production hub, serving as an inclusive, empowered, future-forward cultural and learning center. A library branch of the 21st century, Verso Studios provides programming, commercial services, as well as educational and content creation opportunities. We have a state-of-the-art hybrid analog recording studio designed in part by Rob Froboni, the same guy who built Keith Richards' home studio down the road. We record bands, artists, audiobooks, podcasts, and everything in between. We have video production suites, classes, and events. Check us out at the Verso Studios website and on social media. Big Al Anderson is a Connecticut legend who really needs no introduction, but in the event this conversation runs a little inside baseball, let me be brief. Big Al first entered the charts in 1967 with No Good to Cry by The Wild Weeds, an iconic 60s song covered by many and featured in countless soundtracks. Al graduated to NRBQ in 1971 where he rocked with the band for 22 years. NRBQ's legend looms larger day by day, with tons of musicians and artists counted among their legions of dedicated fans including Bonnie Raitt, Paul McCartney, Keith Richards, Lou Reed, and many more, just to drop a few names. In 1993, Al pivoted to his songwriting career in Nashville, penning hits for the likes of Vince Gill, Bonnie Raitt, Trisha Yearwood, Patti Loveless, George Jones, Sheryl Crow, Tim McGraw, Rascal Flatts, Zac Brown, Harry Connick Jr., and many others. This week, the Yellowstone version of Tim McGraw's The Cowboy and Me sits in the top five on the U.S. country charts. The song was written by Al years ago, where it hit number one on the Billboard Hot Country songs. This week you can catch Big Al in Connecticut at very special full band, full rock and roll gigs. Thursday and Friday, December 16th and 17th at Hartford Infinity Hall. Saturday, December 18th at Stage 1 Fairfield. And Sunday, December 19th at Norfolk Infinity Hall. Find tickets and more info on BigAlAnderson.com events. Here's our conversation. All right, Al. Take us back. Uh oh. Uh, you know, your mom was was she classically trained? Yes, Yale. And your dad played the bass. Yep. Did they help you out with music at all, or no, you, not at all. Didn't know my dad really. He he, he left. He left. Because I was gonna. Yeah. He had, he had a drinking problem. And uh, you never take lessons from your parents anyway. This doesn't work. Did you attempt at one yeah. point? Or, yeah, too frustrating, huh? Yeah, I don't think anybody can. Did your mom mind rock and roll? She didn't understand it, you know. I can't understand the words, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. But she didn't mind that you were into it. But nobody liked it. I mean, they, they came from a, a place where all the good songs were great and American Songbook. So, and then listening to this primitive stuff, <laughs> it was kind of. So if you they were, they can't, they couldn't believe it got on the radio. But if you were stuck, you were on your own, huh? Yeah. So you were, I'm guessing, mostly self-taught by just 
repeating records over and over. Yep. The Ventures, Dwayne Eddy. Those are all pretty easy to play. But then at some point you develop your own style. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I don't know when. I don't think I oh, my own style until if that's what it is. So after NRBQ. You think so? Yeah. Kind of, but towards the end. Mm-hmm. But where did that real shredding stuff come from, you know? <laughs> where you go wild and it's like you're going to snap a Telecaster in half. But I'm not. It just looks like it. <laughs> so it's like a, it's a, it's a rock and roll kind of show thing. Yeah, but yeah. some of the grooves came from Ray Charles and what, after those guys, the Ventures and all that stuff, I've... There's a guy in uh, town, Ray Ziner, who became in, in the Wild Weeds. And he had a gig in the, the uh, north end of Hartford, which is all, it's all black clubs. Still to this day, the best thing I ever did. What was going on in the north end of Hartford? Because when I was reading up on all this, like, I didn't know. I mean, first of all, you played with King Curtis a bunch, but Cannonball Adderley... Sonny Rollins, Yusuf Latif. That's, like, that's more Ray Ziner. I only sat in with King Curtis. But what was, what was the scene in North End of Hartford like where you got some of your chops, I guess? Well, there we were like the only, the only three people in, that were white. So that was and you? The, yeah, and the or- organ and drums. Once in a while, there'd be a saxophone. Sometimes, sometimes they'd have black players, too. But it's just the, it was the greatest, especially on Sunday afternoon. It was, the, the, the crowd was just the best. And when you got a, an ovation from the whole black thing, it was just like, ah. You made it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least I tried. How did you happen upon it, though? How do you even know? Or you guys go searching or something like that? Because Ray Ziner, had, he already had the gig. He did? Yeah, before the Wild Weeds. And that was just... He was playing on in uh, on Farmington Avenue with a place called uh, Tony Romano's Hofbrau. Hofbrau House, That's where right? he had the gigs yeah. with the Cannonball Adderley and all that stuff. So he did other things, like go, you know, on the North End. It's just a jazz organ trio. Sometimes it was a, with a, a, a saxophone or something. It was just it was just great. I'll never forget it. I don't know why it had such such an effect on me. Just knowing, just finding out about black people and and in the music. Um, well, also I would assume like, I mean, do you remember your first time playing in that club? Like, I I would assume like if if I got up to play in front of a crowd like that and I didn't have the chops, I wouldn't want to dare show my face around there until I knew. You know, I had the goods next time. I didn't know I didn't have the goods. <laughs> that was a secret I didn't know yet. I think we started off with the Red Ash on uh, Farmington Avenue. So there was a bunch of clubs on Farmington Avenue, huh? Just, 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 no, just that one. Just that but one. All the ones were on Main Street, North Main Street. There was one called the Subway Lounge. And... Uh, we did that a couple of times, backed up the, the drifters. 
They had like five uh, drifter screws going around the country. So it was one of the trips. Yeah, so we, we, yeah, we got to pick it up. And my first time of getting screwed in the music business is at the end of the night, the guy was a polit politician. His name was something, Mathis or something. He says, now you sign here saying we gave you 15 and then we give you 10. And it was all downhill it's still from going there. On huh? yeah, it's still say. going on today. <laughs> you did play with King Curtis once, right? I sat in. What was that like? I just wanted to play soul. What's the, what was his first hit there? And then yeah. he played on all the coaster stuff. And Lieber and Stoller. Let me just tell you, anybody... Wants the, the greatest rock and roll of all is uh, Lieber and Stoller and Carol King. Goffin. They really cared about the song and how it sounded and, and producing it. It's not just here's a song, I'm on, I'm, on, I'm on to the next one. These guys, they wrote Hound Dog, Lieber and Stoller, Loving You. It just keeps going and on. Stand by me, Peggy Lee. Is that all there is? They're there, the, the, the Jewish guys in New York City, and all the uh, Broadway stuff. That's where all that great, great music started, and it, they they knew how to make money and be the greatest songs ever, all in one thing. That pisses me off. <laughs> Do you think about them when you're songwriting? No. Not really. Just when I'm listening. Going back a bit, you, how how did you get the trans transmission from WWVA? Just by like freak sci-fi chance? I mean, that's West Virginia radio, right? That yeah, I just had it. Just you know, it's easy to listen to when I was a kid. But getting that in Connecticut seems like a stretch yeah but it just had the radio on and, and it came through and it and I had it, guitars i didn't know any any better um but it was great to start off like that but you didn't have to like did you listen like the you know the quintessential kid with the transistor radio under the pillow or you just listened all the time I j just when i was going to sleep because it, it, it only came in at nighttime WWVA, it was a trucker station. At night and AM, you could hear it all over the country for some reason, stars or something, I don't know. <laughs> and what blew your mind? What? Like on that, what, like, what, like what artists? Do you remember? Like probably Everly Brothers? It wasn't, that, that no? was before it. Oh, it was, yeah. So what was, was coming before through? the Everly, it was before rock and roll. Oh, wow. So I didn't really know any of it. Webb Pierce, that was my first album. Fair and Young, just a little bit before Elvis. But real pickers, you know, with those guys. Singers. Oh, singers for you. Yeah, I don't know whether, I don't know who was playing, so just listen to the, you know, I, was, I didn't know anything. So again, my master, you're asking questions I'm not aware of. <laughs> 
I understand. Uh, did Dick Provost show you a thing or two? Well, he, he used to hate my guts because I came in without practicing. And I didn't realize until like five years ago, six years ago, that I can't focus on the page. Do you know how to read charts? No. I know how, I just can't. Was so, part of it like he didn't want to teach rock and roll, or was it just who he, Dick? Dick, yeah, yeah. No, it was just that it, I, my technique wasn't getting any better because I'm not reading the I'm not reading what the, what's in front of me because I can't. I still can't today. Yeah. I've heard you were a pretty square kid. Yep, I was really square. I read somewhere that sounds like Johnny Carson. <laughs> Uh, I don't know about that. And the little Al recording. How'd yeah, that, that come about? Uh, just friends of the family. Just taped it in a wall and sack. Would you perform in the house? Like with your guitar? Would you put uh, on a show for people sometimes? No, we're just over at their house. Not my house. <laughs> uh, was there like a point where you said like, this is, this is what I'm doing the rest of my life? Yeah. When? When I was six. When you had, what, just the acoustic guitar in hand and you, you knew? My brother-in-law had a, I just saw it and said, I got, I'm going to do that. Didn't even know what it sounded like. So I got, I got a guitar when I was nine. And back then, the cheaper the guitar, the more hard it was to play because, you know, it was like. Really bad action. Yeah. Oh, impossible to play. But somehow you, you got through it and you made it work. Yeah. And there was this guy and, and the same people that recorded that, he would show up when it was time for me without even knowing it. He, he'd bring, bring me another guitar. It had a cameo, as I remember it. And when I outgrew that, when it went electric, he just came over and gave me a Dan Electro. It was like... So he's kind of feeding you, huh? Mm. Yeah. He saw something in you, maybe. He's a, he's a great guy. I'll never forget that guy. I just talked to him the other day. He's going to come out to Santa Fe. Whoa. Hopefully. So, so bands. He you started, what, the visuals? Yeah. You have to see us to believe it. That's what's <laughs> Not hear us. See us. What was the visual gag then? There wasn't any. It was just we need looking for a name. Your first gig and how much you were paid. You remember that? The terrace Terraphil. Terraphil or Terryville? Terraphil. It's right near Granby. It's twenty five dollars at a luncheon for the whole band. The visuals. So you were what, eleven, twelve, thirteen? Twelve, I think. We stunk it was awful. <laughs> what was the occasion? It was like a family outing know. or something? No, or? The, the, the guy just wanted us to, I don't know how it came along. And what was your set like, 20 minutes? <laughs> if, if that. It was Dwayne Eddy and the, the Ventures and out. I will say you guys had good names because you had the Impalas, the Six Packs, the Ray Mill Brass Trio, which you think that that was your finest hour. Yeah. The Black Clubs? Well, I mean, is that where Ray Mill Brass Trio played? 
Uh, yeah. What was the set like? Were you guys just kind of doing instrumentals or just, R&B tunes? Or? Oh, yeah. Sometimes Ray would sing. Mostly uh, like jazz blues where nobody's singing, just taking off. And you play a couple things, and then he would play a couple, and I would do a couple. And you make the song. It's just blues and with a little bit of jazz. Oh. Um, so how do the weeds come about? Everybody played that club, and uh, Alex and Andy, their father had a uh, drum shop, so it was that part of it too. But mostly everybody would play the, play these places, and not all of us at one time, but along the way, we all played there. Once the Beatles play Ed Sullivan, do you see like a rush of kids getting guitars and drums around around you, or it, you guys were into it from the start, kind of? Oh yeah, way back before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you guys were the Weeds and then the Wild Weeds, who were your contemporaries? Like, who were your who? What were your competitive bands or bands that you guys played with? Around around here. Yeah. yeah. The Nocturnes and the Impalas, we were, we were like friendly stuff. That's, I think that's about it. No Squires or Blue Beats? Nope. No? That, we didn't look at that as that. Right. But you maybe, and you would play what, like we made sock that, hops or something? Like we, made no good, we made no good to cry by ourselves. You know, and it just sat in a can. And that's when that guy, he, he had nothing to do with it. Says he produced it and Jerry Greenberg produced it, but none, none of them were there. <laughs> but you did it at Trodnossel though, right? Yeah. So Doc was there, right? No. He was, no? He was, he was, a, he was a dentist. He was filling teeth that day. I, I shit you not. So then who, who pressed, who hit record? The engineer. But Ray Ziner did care about all this stuff. You know, we just wanted to go in and make a record. Not so Ray might have produced it then. Yeah, that's what I think. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, more music biz. Is that tale of, you know, them signing the contract in the East Haven drive-in, you know, Jerry Greenberg, Doc Cavalier. Yeah, I don't then, know anything about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? Well, but it seemed like you had, I mean, it had you had kind of WDRC on your side? Yeah. A little was, bit? Bertha Porter was a, a lady... It decided a lot, and she had a lot of power in the industry besides Hartford. I mean, you guys had a lot of people pulling for you, seemed. When it came out, people, yeah, they, they, they asked people to stop calling the station and all that. We're, we're, it, we're at McDonald's going, you know, eating hamburgers and fries and stuff, and we instantly went to, like, Fatso what a big owl I was. <laughs> you were called Fatso before? Well, you know. I, had, I understand. I had uh, something, some cred. Do you think, like, so from 64 to 68, the music changed so much. Was Do, do, do you think it was, like, a lot of it was just, like, fads? I mean, you have, like, somebody like the, the Doug Som, who's, like, do, acting British, so, so they could get, get a hit. Like, were you guys, you guys weren't. 
Did you guys feel like you had to fit in in, in a certain sense? Everything was a mishmash. You didn't, there's nowhere to fit in because you can't really, really say, what is this? What kind of music is this? It was all things crazy back then. Cool, too, I thought. It's good to see a whole bunch of junk instead of just one thing. Yeah, it was super. I mean, even look at the charts back then. It was super eclectic. Yeah. Um, a lot but, of people. Through it all, it was Ray Charles. Probably still is for you, in, right? In Atlantic. Yeah. The Drifters. Lieber and Stoller, I didn't even know who they were back then. Those are my heroes for songwriters. Rock yeah. and roll. I'm a huge Coasters fan. So. <laughs> Me too. Lieber and Stoller, you know. Drifters. Um, so No Good to Cry, it was, it's covered by a lot of people. But one sort of significant cover is you know, for me at least is is the box tops one because you know you were very young when you got into the music industry as was Alex Chilton and Alex Chilton's had like he had a, like a really varied career and I guess I just wondered if you ever met him or you guys ever crossed paths no but the letter blew my it blew everybody's mind for some reason it was just great it's an amazing song I think it's it's and it's under it's a quintessential pop song under three minutes like i think it's like 220 or something like that yeah yeah <laughs> um how did you and speaking of the upcoming shows how did you and christine get acquainted uh she, i don't remember i knew her when she was 16 probably tried not so they, they opened like for us that's why right i'm trying to think of uh, I'm sorry, Christine. I'm trying to think of the, the band that they had back then. Had a really cool name. It's not coming to me either. Yeah. <laughs> um, was One black black bag. That's what it is. Something yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. There it is. Um, was it hard to go to high school? Wrong back bag. Yeah. Was it hard to go to high school when you're, you know, playing shows with the Doors? I was already out. High oh, school. you are. Yeah. 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 But you were playing black clubs in high school, though, so... Yes. Yeah. I was 15. Must have been a chore, then, to go... You would skip school, I, I would guess. Oh, yeah, I was terrible. I went from the honor roll to, to just having to go to summer class to get out. But you graduated, <laughs> yeah? Yeah, after after everybody else. <laughs> I had to go to school, night school or something. Um, I knew it was going to be music for me by then. Do Wild Weeds tour a lot in the, in the States? Nope. Just did one tour out in near Chess. But you played with bands of the day, right? I mean, like... What do you mean? I mean, you must have played with... Uh, I mean, I know you were on a bill with The Doors, for example, but... Yeah, there wasn't that much stuff, though. No, there wasn't, yeah. What was that well, we like? Do you we, remember that? We played... Uh, place called grandmothers and we, we we wanted to be chess and you know go to the see, see the studio and all that stuff and so we it was in East Lansing Michigan and nobody was there except this one guy one black guy and I did not know how great he was yet it was Chuck Berry so I think chess probably wanted to see how we were live or something 
And he came at him with just, with just one of her and shook his hand and said, how you doing? And then back to the stage, like, like an idiot. <laughs> but what would you have said to him? I mean, other than. Yeah, what can you say to him? All you can do is say thanks. Right. Everybody owes him a million dollars, including you. Yeah, including <laughs> you, Al. <Yeah. laughs> um, when, when was the first time you heard an RBQ? Do you remember? Yes, it was in Springfield. No, I can't remember the... I don't remember the theater. It's all right. Springfield. Yeah, they would, they would do a song and then get off stage for like 20 minutes before they came back. It was loose. It was, it was still that way when I got in, but it was crazy. So how long were their shows from the start good, to end? It's good. To, I don't know. I, I can only remember what I... I, got, I, I met Ferguson, told him how great he was, and that's uh, as close as I got. But I'd already bought the albums. What were your impressions of Steve's playing? He's one of the greatest of all times in rock and roll. There's this uh, YouTube video of, of one of the reunion shows, like a fan shot video. And it's you and Steve on stage. I think at the Iron Horse. And Steve's taking a solo. He's sitting down. You're standing up. And you're just watching him like a hawk. That was the, the, the tribute we did to him? With it him? must have been, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was really sick. But I'm bringing this up to say that, like, even just, you know, what, 10, 15 years ago, he's, like, clearly still a, a hero of yours. Oh, yeah. All you just, just flat foot flusy, just the intro is all you need. Yeah, Did, if you listen, how, how intricate all these things are that he does, he must have gone to sleep with that guitar and woke up with it. <laughs> How long did it take you to get that? I still can't do it. I can't. I don't do think it. anybody can. I really don't. I can get close. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing. Um, so when you started in the band, it was Tom Staley on drums, right? Right. And then eventually he was great. Oh yeah, I've seen him a couple times. He's great drummer um but i guess the q did a show with the wild weeds and that was sort of like a secret audition or something like that i mean did you did you have any feeling like I mean, yeah, what, they, what we, was would they ask you to join i guess right yeah long story short <laughs> <laughs> but uh two guys i can't remember their names now were, were at kent school and they want, uh, somehow it ended up that we went up and played up in New York, Clinton Corners or something like that. And that's, yeah, that's what happened. And they called me and they disbanded the band <laughs> just to do it. I had to do it. Knowing we're probably never ever going to make any money, but I'm going to learn something. Because you knew that those guys were just such great players? Yeah. Was but it? They didn't pay attention to the charts or anything like that. I already, I already knew I was in for that, but it was, it was worth it. Was it a huge education? T totally. 
Like, did, did you feel I like you're off the deep end? I didn't end? know yeah. anything when I got in there. And now that I'm out, I know a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hopefully. So, and it, oh, I think what people also forget because they, they think of the, the, the classic lineup, right? Um, and they forget that Tommy joined like right out of high school. Tommy Ardolino. What yeah. was what was that like? Because he was like a super fan. Like if you hear one of his records that they put out, and that that record store Mystery Train put it put a record of, of his out. He's doing like clavinet experiments, and it's like he's like NRBQ fan number one before he even joins the band. So what was that like? Well, he he, he I guess he just came to all the gigs, and uh, he got the notary or something, and. Tom, Tom, the other Tom, went out to the bus. He thought the, the gig was over. So the, real, this, the new Tom got up and started playing, and uh, he did really good. And then uh, him and uh, the, old, the first Tom and Steve Ferguson decided they were going to go off on their own, which I didn't think lasted very long. And then uh, the the lead singer left to do what he wanted to do. So that's what we had left over. Mm. Um, so I started singing. But you, you sang before. Were you confident as a singer by then, or no, you had to really come into it? No, I was okay by then, easily. I think you're one of the great vocalists of all time. I mean, rock vocalists. But, but you're easily amused. <laughs> <laughs> But thanks, Andy. I, I yeah. appreciate that. Were the chords insane for NRBQ? The what? The chords. Much more chords. Yeah. They, they knew jazz, and I didn't. So, so my, so I'm still trying to learn that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I can't read. In jazz, you have to be able to read, mostly. Yeah. Uh, what was your inspiration for the NRBQ song, Riding in My Car? Brian Wilson. Don't worry, baby. I just listened to it about, when I listened to it, I listened to it about 12 times every time I put it on. That's where that came from. After that, I just wrote the song to that, to trying to be it, be them. Then it came out in what, like 10 minutes? You had it, you had it written five? <laughs> Longer than that, a day? How long did it take to write Ride in My Car? Hour. I guess. Did that feel like a real anthem for you? It was an anthem for a no, lot of I people. No, I had no idea. I didn't even know if the band was going to like it or anything. I just wrote it, brought it in. But then when you guys played at shows, you guys must know that's like the, that's like your fan favorite. I don't know about that. I think there's, there's, there's that part of the band, but there's also Get Rhythm and oh, definitely. It All Right and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the coolest, easygoing song i love it now more than er- more than ever why is so that it's fun to play i mean at its height you guys sound and look like you guys are having the greatest time yeah <laughs> it was it was really really good yeah when i look back on it um and then by 93 what what made you say like i i i gotta make a change for myself after after uh, Yankee Stadium, things got weird. 
That's a, a nice way to put it. And, it's, and it just got more weird and more weird. And I was just drinking, doing coke and all this stuff. And uh, I finally went into AA and got my stuff together. And we were playing out in Long Beach. And uh, Carlene Carter and the bass player from Tom Petty, what was it? Howie Epstein. They came to get us to go up to their house and sing at unison part, which we did. She came down the next night. We started talking about she's, she was straight and I'm straight and let's write a song. So after the, the tour, I went back out there and uh, we wrote every little thing. And another, move, another song that made it in the Maverick movie soundtrack. And in that, just right after that, I called, uh, I was drunk when I met her, Pat McMurray, which is Webb Wilder's wife. Well, she wanted to work with you. Right? Yeah, she yeah. wanted to sign me. But, but I was, as a songwriter. I, I was still yeah. smashed, so I called her six months later and said, I'm, I'm ready to go. So in that interim, that song got cut, and it went top five all over the world. Was that a shocker every, for you? Every little thing. It was a shocker when I went to the mailbox. Good it, picture, it, and, huh? and it was a great record, too. So then from there on, did she kind of just assist you and, and kind of... No, I stayed in the band. I mean, I was until, I don't know, maybe another year. Two years. I think I was there two years when I was sober. Were you confident in the jump to songwriter? You know, from being in that band, or was it like scary? Were you like, I might fall flat on my face? Yep, I just took a shot, not knowing what was ever going to happen. But actually, it worked out really fast. And I had I had that hit, and a lot of the, uh, the musicians and the, the producers down there were NRBQ fans, so it made it a lot easier for me to to go through the fight you have to go through to to get through. Mm-hmm. And you probably weren't surprised that there were so many Q fans that wanted to work with for with you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, people who know that band, they they, they know. Um and Bonnie Raitt probably was an inspiration a little bit to you. Yeah. Big big time. I have a groove that nobody else nobody else can play, you know. What I'm but that that's what they, that's what they think down there. that if if you want to get that, you gotta get out. That kind of thing. And I learned that it all happened one night when I was playing, and I, all, I, I just got into this groove. And uh, it's actually me. Bonnie's band didn't, all the, the players by themselves weren't doing any groove thing. But the whole band was doing it. So I learned how to do that because I, I wanted to be able to have, feel all that and that's how that that groove came along that they call it the stink down there <laughs> so you learn the, the groove the, the, from all, Bonnie's the, band. all the guys that played in the band the session guys is the stank i go yep <laughs> is, that, is that your secret sauce the stank yeah <laughs> what is it like kind of like a new orleans kind of yep it is kind of but it's kind of wacky yeah 
because I'm kind of wacky. You can, it's a lot of people can do the stink, but it's not quite. What song is illustrative of that, of yours, you think? Uh, come on if you're coming, maybe. It's got a great groove. There's one coming out with, with Bonnie right now, coming up, called uh, Something's Got a Hold of My Heart. And you wrote it with her? No, wrote it myself. Oh, and she's taking it, yeah? Yeah, she made. She called me on the phone. I was driving to Muscle Shoals. It says, hey, Al, remember that song you, get, you tried to get me to do 33 years ago? I said, yeah. We just cut it. So she had the demo this whole time? Yeah. She keeps everything. But you can send her 5,000 songs and not get one. Well, is that what it's like, kind of songwriting for people? You're just kind of flying these so songs off, or people requesting you, or is it just kind of like fishing? You're casting with, with songs off. Yeah, but with Bonnie, I really want, wanted that. <laughs> you wanted that song? Yeah, I, don't, I wanted to have a Bonnie cut. Oh, you did, yeah. What? But cuts? the other the oh, other right. things you were talking about is they find out about you from songs they heard down there. You know, they pigeonhole you a little bit. See who's going to play this part. And yeah. Do you write with somebody or? Yeah, always. Way faster. Because <laughs> there's two heads. Yeah. Better than one. Yeah. And I'm lazy. I'll, I get up and get a pizza or something. <laughs> But you're pretty prolific, though, on your own. I was. You getting a little lazy again? No, I haven't done it. I haven't done it by myself in a long time. Yeah. I found I found out really good lyricists that are better than me. So you work with lyricists sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. I think your lyrics are good. They're yep. simple. They're funny. And they're, well, a good lyricist can work fast, and I'm, it takes me a while to, you know, I don't spend three days trying to get it right. They can do it in three hours. Right. Um, what are some of your proudest songs that you've written for people? I know you love that you got the George Jones cut before he went. Yeah. Harry Connick Jr., Diana Krall, The Carpenters, posthumously. Uh, Don Williams, Vince Gill, Randy Travis, uh, out of all of them. I think I got most of my heroes, and the girls too, Patty Loveless, Trisha Yearwood. Those in the 90s, country was great. They had great singers, great songs. It was really good. Good time to be there. Mm -hmm. I, I just got I cleaned up just in time, just in the nick of time. The miracle. <laughs> Did was there a certain point where you like? I mean, you probably felt fine in an RBQ, but I would assume that once the number one songs start coming in, the hits keep coming for you in Nashville. That like you must feel secure, right? Yeah, I didn't leave for, for the money. At least, at least, because something happened, and it was the last thing that was going to ever ever happen again. So that's when I left. Mm. It's, I mean, 
I I grew up. Uh, my first NRBQ show was like 1999 or something like that. I was like 14, and uh, I've only seen you play with them at the reunion shows, and um, it's been amazing to see you play now. I actually think the last time I saw you at Cafe Nine the best i've ever seen you i was crying a bunch <laughs> now i'm getting real fanboy but like I, what i'm saying is is like i mean it's it's amazing to to see you that the shape you're in the shape your voice is in the way you're playing how well you're doing it you're you know you're an inspiration no i don't think of myself as that at all of course you don't feel like that if you love if you like me you're in trouble <laughs> Um, I mean, you do a lot of songwriting and you have that joke about, uh, when I figured out I could, you know, make this much, much money from the couch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But do you love playing these shows? Yeah. Oh yeah, I do. I could I do. tell I'm, you. Yeah. I'm getting old though. But you still like to rock. Yeah. It, the problem, it's not being on stage. It's, it's the trip and the, in the hotel and all that, you know, it just goes on. And I've been doing it for so long. We should say we're at the Hyatt house right now. So yeah, <laughs> you're still in hotels. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, especially for New Haven. I mean, we were doing, we were doing like, you know, five gigs a week on the road, not on a bus, in a car. Lost it. It was, it was when you look back on it, it's great. When you're doing it, it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> when you when you go back and look, I guess I never thought of it because you know the, there's the the Connie Chung profile on the internet, so you sort of assume that NRBQ's got this big bus with some right. a little bit of space. But once in a great while, we'd have a bus. Not even a van, cars. Cars. Well, there, there was just a truck. Mm-hmm. Not a van ever. That's close that, quarters. That, that'd a car. be awful. Yeah. Cars, uh, though, so you guys would, you know, maybe drive separately. Not all you guys packed in a car. Yeah, think. all five Ooh. of them. All five of us, yeah. I bet it smelled great in there. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that? Uh, <clears throat> um, so I was going to say that, you know, especially for me, the, the Cafe Nine shows uh, kind of brought it full circle for me because that, that really is like the nexus. It did for of, me, too. You know why? Why? Because... You usually have to listen to your, what do they call them down here? Monitor. Monitor. It goes, you see my brain's going. You that, usually, that, on that one, you can listen to the wall. <clears throat> comes back at you. And I never get to play clubs anymore. So whenever I can sneak in Nick Cafe 9, that guy is really cares about his club and the music he comes in there. Pre-pandemic, he was doing 10 shows a week. I mean, it's hard to find anywhere of original music yeah so he's a good guy it was it was awesome to see those two shows there um what what's next for you uh good question maybe nothing how's that that's fine you earn you earn nothing Al. right so yeah i can do anything i want al do you think people grow up too fast these days, I don't know. I'm really out of it. To even, I don't even understand anything. <laughs> it's crazy. It's a crazy world out there. 
I'm, um, I'm glad I came along when I did. It was the perfect time to, just in time for rock and roll. To be able to, to know country before that is important too. And then the NRBQ, which did everything, you know, it was a, a school, basically. Was I, it a thrill then, like when, you know, somebody like Keith or Paul McCartney or Lou Reed, any of those guys, if, if, if they came to a show and said, this is great, did that, did that thrill you? Or was it just like, ah, oh, yeah, we... But we never saw these people. <laughs> we heard later <clears throat> that they liked it. Yeah. The Keith Richards got to take Joey out and put him in the movie. We didn't know that, was, that he was there. Oh, he didn't, he didn't mention it to Steve you Steve Jordan brought him. Mm. And the Ramones, they all came. They were great. We went and saw them in uh, Georgia. I loved it. That, it was great. Did everyone in NRBQ like them? Yeah. Well, wow. I don't know, but we all went. Two-minute song. Great. Wow, I did not know you guys love that punk stuff. That's that's. I'm just I'm going for me. Yeah, no, it's great. Speaking for me, no, it's great. Um, because I love there's there's some bootleg where the Magic Box you guys get Whip It by Devo, and you say we're not doing that robot music. <laughs> <laughs> if we didn't know what was in the Magic Box, we just made something up. <laughs> And one of my favorite Magic Box moments that's on that I've heard on tape is uh, you do the drifters under the boardwalk. You do it great. Really? I'd like to hear that. You must have met Ventures guys, Noki Edwards, and all those guys at some point. Yeah. It met met them? Yeah. No. No. Never oh, did. Wow. Link Ray. Not many people know, but he sang on Get a Grip. Doing the. Come on, baby, now get it good. And the whole band singing it together. I did not know he that. came no. to Electric Lady. That's when we did the record. He must have been a hero of yours. Not till later. I didn't realize the value of stupidity. I mean that in, a, in, in the best way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some of the greatest rock and roll is horrible. But he knew how to, he was really great. Yeah, I mean that that song is the most dangerous. Rumble. Unbelievable. And he wouldn't talk to you if you know, he was one of. It's one of those things. I can't, can't you know you could ask him questions or anything. And you, eh. The perfect, not going to take any shit from you. He had, he had that attitude whether he had it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, advice for. Advice for people trying to get into music. If you feel it, just really what you want to do. You got you to gotta hang in there through the shit. There's going to be a lot of it. Yeah, but you know. On, on the way up. It's worse on the way down. <laughs> do it for love. Good talking to you, man. Great talking to you, Al. Thanks. <laughs>